the text for today is actually verses 8 and 9, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, uh, just to keep you up with context if you were paying attention or falling asleep a little last week, just to kind of give you an idea of where we were at. So Philemon, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. When you get there, say, I am held in the grip of grace. Awesome. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and since we are thankful to God for his word, you can respond with thanks be to God. Philemon, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we will go through verse 9. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And this is where we will be today, verses 8 and 9. Accordingly, though... I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, 11 a.m. We are glad that you're here, and we are studying and journeying through the New Testament book of Philemon. And exactly, that's one of the reasons why we're studying it. We love the book of the Bible. We love the Bible. And so we're going to dive in this series. And last week, we sort of started um, with this concept and this idea of us journeying on the path and understanding principles of forgiveness. And really, this letter involves freedom, friendship, forgiveness, all of those things. But really, when it comes to being a Christian, being a pastor, being in ministry... Um, forgiveness is not like one of the things that kind of comes up every once in a while. Um, It's basically the thing that comes up. It's it's the number one thing that I think that we deal with um, as human beings, number one. But secondly, as new believers in Christ, I think that's one of the main things that we still struggle with as well is this understanding, now I'm a new person, how, how do I extend and understand this idea of forgiveness? And this week, maybe as a way of introduction, um, this is a picture of 29-year-old Stephen McDonald. And this picture was taken in 1986, and Stephen was a police officer for the NYPD. And the same year that this picture was taken, he was working a case. There were a number, actually hundreds, of stolen bicycles in the area at the time. And he was in Central Park and walking and saw some individuals who looked to be fitting the descriptions of what was happening, approached them, um, asked one gentleman some questions, turned to ask another gentleman a question. That gentleman pulled out a gun and shot him three times, one in the arm, one in the chest, and then one in the neck. And the one that struck him in the neck struck his spinal cord and left Stephen a quadriplegic. And it made uh, the front times, uh, or the front page of the New York Times. Stephen got a call from uh, Ronald Reagan at the time, and it was a really big news story. But what made it even bigger was after Stephen got healthy, he held a press conference. And he held another one right before he passed away. And he held the press conference to let the country know 
and to let the shooter and his family know that he had freely forgiven him of what he had done to him. And the interview right before Stephen passed away, and you can look this up in the New York Times, Stephen says these words, Looking back, pondering on my life since that time, it's clear to me that God was in charge. All he wanted was the opportunity to use me. He just needed my yes. And that was made possible by prayer. I know people don't like it, but it's really that simple, really. Through the family and friends that God put in my life and their prayers, God spoke to me and said, Stephen, will you love this boy who shot you? And the best way that I could show him I loved him was to forgive him. But left to my own abilities, I don't think I would have done it. And I know that I would have died a long time ago inside if I had not listened to God. So I said yes to God. And I followed the example of his son. And I loved him and forgave him. What? I mean, can we be human for a moment, okay? What? I mean, like, is there a magic pill for that or something? That's... How in the world could somebody offer words like that? And the reason why I share Stephen's story is because Stephen's story is rooted in something. Did you hear it in what he read? It's not, it's not Hallmark. It's not a Lifetime ABC family movie. There was, there was a motivation underneath what Stephen was saying. Stephen's a devout believer and raised money for charities and everything like that. But what he said was, left to my own device, no way I would have done that. But it was this God factor in, in Jesus. And there was something that I pulled from in order so I could extend You see, last week we understood we're we're just taking it a step at a time, okay? So we're just putting one foot in front of the other and we're just trying to walk this path. And last week we said it was sort of almost counterintuitive. Before you address what's wrong, first acknowledge what's right. The Apostle Paul took a third of the letter to not even talk about the issue at hand. He talked about what was right. And so you left with a little bit of homework. We gave you an insert just some quiet time to thank God for what he had done in your life. And so anybody, any, in, did anybody do that this week? Just raise your hand. Anybody? Blessed are you. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. <laughs> Makes the preacher feel good when you do what he said. I'm just saying, okay, all right. And so isn't it crazy to think, like what it does mentally and physically to you when you just stop and thank God? And how crazy is it that, that we actually have to stop and work at it? to thank God for what he's done in our life. And then this week, two verses. I read the the passage of Scripture, and I just could not get past these two verses. I ran across Stephen's story, and I thought, there's there's something here. And look in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Yet for love's sake. Four words. I just couldn't get past it. So the big idea, the next step that we're taking after we've acknowledged what's right, we're going to get, we're going to address what's wrong, we're going to get there. The next foot that we put down is we have to understand a motivation. There's got to be a basis for us on this journey. Can't be a Hallmark card, can't be just because the Bible tells me so, this, that, or the other. There's got to be something there. 
And I believe what Paul tells us in these two verses is this principle. Biblical love is the only thing that produces lasting change. That's it. Biblical love is the only thing that produces lasting change. Not just change, but lasting change. Because what we're understanding about the issue of forgiveness is that it's a journey that we're walking. And sometimes forgiveness is a choice in a moment, but that issue comes back up and I have to choose again in that moment. And so when that moment happens, what's my motivation? Where's my power source coming from? And so maybe if you just stepped in on this series, here's sort of the background on Philemon. Philemon is written by this guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. He hated Christians, didn't love Jesus, met Jesus, became a Christian, started planting churches. Incredible story. You can read it in Acts 8 and 9. But he had, uh, was preaching over in Ephesus and had a friend by the name of Philemon who was starting a house church. And so Paul knew Philemon, but Paul also ended up in prison. And Philemon had a situation take place, and we're going to learn about this. He had a worker, a slave, who ran away from him, stole money and some possessions. And that guy ended up with jail, in jail with Paul, right? Like, talk about God's sovereignty, right? So anytime you hang around the Apostle Paul, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to get a curse and, like, get cursed blind, or you're going to get saved. That's just, like, all that happens anytime you're around Paul when you read in the Bible. It's crazy. So that guy, Onesimus, comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and Paul says, yo, bro, the bros in the Greek, it's in a different thing. And so he says, you, you have to go back. You have, to, you have to make this right in steps of the letter to Philemon. And so what we're seeing is these principles and aspects in this week, biblical love. The Apostle Paul uses a particular word in verse 9, for love's sake. Now, many of you maybe didn't grow up in church, so the Bible wasn't written in English, um, and and this letter was written in Greek, and uh, the word that Paul uses for love is very important. Here's, I normally don't do that. I like the jelly on the bottom shelf, but it's really important for us to learn. In the English language, we just toss around the word love, right? You know, love Taco Bell, love my dog, love my wife. Not in that order, okay, right, okay? So you're with me, good, all right, 11, you're here, good. So we just toss around the word love, and the word love doesn't, I mean, doesn't have any connotation with it. In the language that the Bible, the New Testament was written in, there's, there's like three words for it. And the highest word, like the most intimate highest word that means divine love, not human love, but divine love is the word agape. And that's the word Paul uses here. I appeal to you for agape's sake, divine love's sake. But then in these two verses, he's going to show us that love is not just an ethereal concept. It's a high form of it, but there's something that's required of us when it comes to the idea of love. And so biblical love is the only thing that produces lasting change. So what does love require of me? Well, the first thing is this. Love requires action. Action. It's a do thing. Look in verse 8. Accordingly, although I am bold enough in Christ... So what's interesting is, is in the original language, he's actually saying, if I could speak frankly to you, right? So anybody in here who doesn't have a filter on their mouth? Anybody? Anybody? Right? I'm kind of that person. Sometimes I find out what I'm saying when you do too, sometimes on Sunday, right? (laughs) And so Paul's frank, right? He's bold. He's saying, 
I am going to address this issue now. So think about it. Paul has two friends that are at odds with each other. And he says, I have to step in and I have to address this issue. So we can pull principles from this context. Understanding that reconciliation is the responsibility of every believer. Okay, contrary to Western individual culture, small town, popper bluff, I want to stay out of their business. When you're a part of a church and a covenant community and you know that this is going on or something's going on, it is our responsibility as ambassadors for Christ to put our neck out on the line. That's what Paul is doing. There's action involved there. It's a do thing. It's not just a concept. It's not just Cupid with an arrow. It's not just words. It's not. Here's what I'm trying to say. Love is not passive. It is active. Love pursues. Love initiates. Love does this. So maybe this will help. This past year, um, our oldest son, Roman, who was six, had um, an eye surgery on one of his eyes. And so um, it was a common surgery, but still, when it's your kid, you're like, you know. And isn't it crazy? Doctors and their personal skills. It's just mind-blowing, isn't it? Some of the smartest people in the world. And they're so smart that they don't realize how you react to situations. Like, ah, yeah, you know, one of the things that could happen from the surgery is like blindness and death. But, I mean, and you're like, oh, my Lord, right? And so, um, and it was, technology is just fascinating. Went up to St. Louis, incredible staff at Children's, awesome stuff. Um, The surgery only took like 33 minutes or something. And they moved like five muscles in his eye. I'm like, I wait longer in a drive-thru. for something. that was just fascinating to me how they do that. But one of the follow-ups was, right before they sort of leave the room, is, is he had this salve that he had to put in his eye. And it was real thick, and it was, it was gritty. It was, it was painful. It was, you know. And so they just drop in and go, oh, yeah, here's this salve. You need to put it in twice a day. If you put too much in, he'll go blind. If you don't put it in enough, he'll go blind. Call us in a week. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness gracious, you know. So we get home and we're starting like, okay, here we go. We got to put this in. We got to hold him down. We have to open up the eye. And so parents, are you with me on this? Okay. In that moment, Roman was not a fan of his mom and his dad. Okay. And it breaks your heart because he's asking this question. Why are you doing this? Why do we have, do we have to do this? Why? Question, you can answer this. Why, why do we do it? We love him. We want, the doctor, this is what's right. We wanted to do this. You see, love is not always convenient for you. And it's going to be very difficult. And this idea of biblical love, it shows that we love when we enter in, that it requires action. But even let's take that illustration further. We almost, in a way, had to open up that wound. I mean, his eye was, was, was a wound from the surgery. And we had to open it to put salve in in order for it to heal properly. Now listen, follow me. For some of us on this issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness, there are areas in your life and in your heart that you have been wounded. So what a wound is and what bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness is, is someone took something from you that you did not give them permission, innocence, trust, And then they gave you something that you did not ask for. Guilt, 
shame, hurt. And for some of us, we don't want to go there. But what I see Paul saying about love is is this. The wounds that you never address are the wounds that will never be healed. And see, this challenges our view of Jesus. Because the area that you don't want to go in your life is where Jesus wants to go. Because listen, he is Lord of all, not Lord of what's convenient for you. So love requires action. And let's even get more serious. Let's go back to the issue with Stephen and being shot. After Stephen had regained his health and his strength, he reached out to the young man who is now in prison who shot him. And he sent him a box of stamps and paper with a letter that said this, let's carry on a dialogue. He later met with the young man's mother and attended the Baptist church in Harlem that he grew up in. Listen, in order for it to be healed, you've got to go there. And love, if love is your motivator, biblical love, then love requires action. But the second thing is this, and it's really not fun, but it's in the text, so be mad at Paul. It's this. Love requires surrender. Surrender. Here's what I mean. Look, he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Why did Paul say that? Okay, so listen. He is known as, a little bit of church history here, okay? The Apostle Paul. So there was only a select number of apostles. We don't have them anymore. They met the physically resurrected Jesus Christ, right? Saw him, met with him, ate fish and chips with him. And then they were commissioned to go out and preach the gospel. Paul met the resurrected Jesus Christ. The phrase, getting knocked off your high horse, comes from Paul's testimony. And then Jesus said, go, you're, you're going to be my missionary to the Gentiles. So, in the early church, because they, they, they weren't like, well, I wonder what God says. You know, let's just go to Hebrews. There. They didn't have that because Paul's writing them, okay? So, Paul carried what was known as apostolic authority. Now, some of it was supernatural, Some of it was really cool. Like if anybody got in Paul's way in his ministry, he cursed them blind. I've asked for that gift, but God hasn't given it to me yet. So, you know, maybe it'll come, I don't know. And so apostolic authority. And so when Paul would give someone a command, like the church discipline issues and stuff that he addressed in 1 Corinthians and all of those things, when he commanded someone to do something, it was as if Christ commanded you. He carried that authority. So he says, I could do this. You remember me, Apostle Paul? Pretty big deal, right? Verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. What did he just do? Follow me, because this is a good chunk of the sermon. Follow me. Paul was right. He's showing his rights, his credentials. I'm the Apostle Paul, writing books of the Bible. Anybody else? That's what I thought. You know, like, I I am right. I have these rights. 
but yet I lay these rights down because I would rather prefer to you on a different motivation. So now follow. The issue with ancient slavery is a complicated one for us, especially us in Western culture. I mean, the Civil War, the Civil Rights. And some translators can't get around that idea a lot, and so they translate the word slave to bondservant in some of your Bibles for the English connotation of it. Around the time Paul is writing the letter, there's somewhere around 2.5 or 2.7 million slaves in Rome. Now, there were various degrees Um, Some of the slaves or a worker for a very wealthy person lived better than, uh, you know, a lot of the population. And so they understood, Paul knows, people always address, and most of the time non-believers are like, well, the Bible propagates and promotes slavery. Well, no, it doesn't. And here's how Paul is addressing the issue. Think about what is the relationship between a slave and a boss? Think about it. The boss commands, the owner commands and forces someone to do something that they don't want to do. And so Paul is literally almost planting like a gospel seed and is hoping that it germinates because he knows he could force and command and lord Philemon to forgive Onesimus and bring him back. But then what would be the difference in Paul and a slave owner? but rather he appeals to love's sake. One commentator puts it this way. Slavery is a system of bossing people around. If Paul had bossed Philemon, he might submit and begrudgingly free Onesimus, but the principle of domination would still be intact, and slavery would spring up again inside the church in more ways than one. Instead, Paul subverts the entire system of domination by appealing to Philemon's free decision to act in a manner consistent with the equality and love between brothers and sisters in Christ. Now listen, I'm taking you on a journey. This is one of the things that I struggle with daily about the idea of the gospel is that in my fallen DNA and in my human nature, I want to have power and I want to climb the ladder and I want to work hard to do it. And when I get at the top, I want to look down on the people that I worked harder than and to be able to say, I did this. And the gospel turns that idea completely upside down. The disciples actually asked Jesus, how can we become great? We want to do it, man. We want to serve. We want to call down thunder. We want to make this happen. And Jesus says, oh, you want to be great? Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why? So, one principle followers of Christ do not abuse authority and demand people to do things, right? Very clear. But why does Jesus talk about that motivation? 
Well, walk with me on this journey. Parents, have you ever found yourself um, in a holy disagreement with your child, right? That's a church way of saying in an argument, right? And, and the phrase is, I need you to clean your room. Command has been given. No follow-through has happened yet, okay? So we appeal again. We command. I need you to clean your room, right? No follow-through. Then we do what we said we swore we would never do, and I swore that I would never do this because my parents did it to me, and you lay down the ultimate apostolic authority you have as a parent, and the phrase is, because I said so. (laughs) And you look just like Clint Eastwood in that moment, right? Make my day, buddy. Come on, man. And then the child stomps away and goes and cleans the room. Now, now, here's, here's our frame. They are doing... What you commanded them to do on the outside. But how is their heart towards you on the inside? You would probably not want to know, right? Listen, that is what is so dangerous about religion. Is that you can do all of these things. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can serve. I'm doing all of this because I know somehow I'm supposed to do this. And I'm supposed to do all this stuff. And I'm serving. And I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Right? Listen, listen, listen. The right actions with the wrong heart is still rebellion. That's rebellion. The right actions with the wrong heart and the wrong motivation is still rebellion. Now follow me on this. Paul says, I'm appealing to you for agape's sake. There's a different motivator here. Alexander McLaren says this, Love is the weapon that casts aside the trappings of superiority and is never greater than when it descends nor more absolute than when it binds authority and appeals with love to love. Such is ever love's way. To rise, it stoops. Now follow me. Love requires surrender. Surrender what? Now, let's bridge it to your life and the issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness. Some of you are right. The person that hurt you was so wrong, blatantly wrong. I mean, there is, there is not a court in this land that would appeal to them for their case. You are right, and you have your rights, and you have a choice. I cannot extend forgiveness, and I can punish them. And people would say, you're right. That action, they hurt you. But what does Paul do? He surrenders them. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. And another pastor taught me this. Sometimes you have to surrender the right to prove a point in order to make a difference. Because you can't prove a point and make a difference at the same time. So yes, you can prove your point. And yes, you know what? You can be right. Do I have some of the people in here today that struggle with being right? There's t-shirts for you, right? It says, I just don't always have to be right. It's just people are wrong all the time, right? Do we have right people in here? Right? You're right, man. You are right. And how well does it go for you every time you prove how right you are? 
the situation explodes because you can't prove a point and make a difference at the same time. And so when you surrender the right and say, I just have to appeal to love's sake for this. Because listen to me, if you love being right more than you love the person that you're dealing with, you are wrong. No gray area. Stop arguing with me. That's because you're struggling with being right. Paul lays it down, and he's so right. But he lays it down, and he says love has to be the motivator here. So love requires surrender sometimes. But then the last thing that is very, very clear is this. Love requires Jesus. Look at what he gets very personal. I, Paul, an old man, all of our older saints said, amen. I love that verse, right? Verse 9, life verse. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Look at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul, we get it. You're in jail for Jesus. You're awesome, Paul, and they all, like, you're in jail. Okay, cool. Why does he always saying that? Well, look. I mean, he can, I mean, verse 3, our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Lord Jesus. Verse 6, of Christ. Verse 8, bold enough in Christ. Verse 9, Christ Jesus. In nine verses, the Apostle Paul says, Lord Christ or Jesus, five times. I'm a simple man, but I think he's probably trying to get a point across, don't you think? And he's letting us know this. Love is not a principle. Love is not a place. Love is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So, right, the most famous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13... Love is patient. Love is, always read at a wedding. Has nothing to do with marriage or a wedding at all, but that's okay, right? Very famous. Love. Like, put your name in that passage. How well is that going for you? Now, put Jesus' name. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not put up with wrong. You see, love is a person, and Christ is the personification of this. So the the second step on the path to forgiveness is your motivation step. What's What's the gas in my tank for this? And it's biblical love is the only thing that produces lasting change. And each point that I've given you today has been fulfilled by Christ. Point number one, love requires action. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ prayed about it. Christ died for us. It's an action. And sharing a Facebook status is not your great cause to humanity. Give me a break. Let it hurt. Love requires action. Love requires surrender. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, 
though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. You may be right, but we lay down our rights so that love would win. Biblical love is the only thing that produces lasting change. And this love, 2,000 years later, we are in Popper Bluff, Missouri in 2018, singing praises to this Jesus. And what's that one verse about? It's the John 3 something. It's about how God loved us so much. Could we never get past this verse? Could this not just be a vacation Bible school, Sunday school? May we not just have big heads and hard hearts, but may we read this and weep and understand that this love is the motivator for me to offer a love that someone doesn't deserve. That He loved us so much that He gave His Son that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life Always changing love. So as the band leads us in a time of response, I have three questions for you to examine your heart before you come to the tables today. This idea of biblical love, this journey on forgiveness for you to examine this. The first one is this. What relationship do I need to start praying about? For some of you, it's like, you know the name, it's there. But maybe for some of you who are in the situation with Paul, you have two people, two people who are at odds. And if reconciliation is the responsibility of every believer, for we are ambassadors of Christ, what, what situation do I need to be praying about? And then for you, maybe if you're the person who's hurt, been hurt, are you praying about the individual and the situation that God is leading you on? Are you someone who's hurt someone else and you don't know how to deal with the situation? You don't know how to offer grace? Are you praying about that? I am bold enough in Christ to address this issue. Second question. Why am I handling the issue of forgiveness this way? This is for you right people. Do you build your case a lot? And listen, you know what's dangerous about us as Christians is we can find Bible verses to build our case. Love doesn't put up with wrong. Contend for the faith. Jesus drove a whip and drove him out of the temple. Right, 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 he did. And he also died on Calvary. And he also laid it down. And it was that moment that, where it hurt in that moment is what brought about this change. Why are you handling it this way? Why do you feel that you need to constantly build a case all the time rather than first just surrender to God? The third question is this. Where am I not letting Jesus lead me? Where's the area that you're deflecting? Not there, not there, nope. I'll stay busy with this. Oh, I'll handle this situation. Oh, I'll get involved in your stuff. Oh, I'll do this. Oh, they need help here. Got to do that. And all that is is busy work because you don't want to go here. Listen to me. The greatest amount of grace that you will find in your life is in the greatest wound that you have. Jesus 
produces grace is for there. Biblical love is the only thing that can produce lasting change. I'm going to have you stand where you're at, and we're going to end like we are going to end every week, and we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. And let this be our prayer for this series. For those whom we need to forgive, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's someone else or a situation. But let us read this out loud as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would have your way with us. Send your spirit to enable us. Because Jesus, you don't ask us to do something that you have not already done. And when it comes to forgiveness, what you ask us to do, you also supply us to be able to do ask us to offer forgiveness without first extending to us a forgiveness that changes the world. So may the words ring true. Yet I appeal to you for love's sake and have your way with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you come to the tables as you feel led today?